podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, And any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Thursday, the 12th of January. A wet Thursday, the 12th of January, as is always the way here in beautiful Cavan. It is nice out my back window. Now, not nice weather, but the view is nice. So that's that's a decent thing. Um, right, we had EFL Cup last night. Wolves won. Nottingham Forest won. At the city ground. And Nottingham Forest threw on penalties. Willie Bolly put Forest one up. Tapping in from close range. But Raul Jimenez equalised on 64 minutes after good work. By Mateus Nunes and Mateus Cunha. 
Dean Henderson was called into action to make a couple of really, really good saves in this game. And when it went to penalties, Sam Surridge missed. Then Ruben Neves missed, which is a big surprise. Great save by Henderson. Remu Freuler scored. Daniel Pedence equalised. Joe Worrell scored. Matthias Nunes equalised. Morgan Gibbs-White scored. Matthias Cunha equalised. Morgan Gibbs-White, give up that penalty nonsense. Stop the hop, skip and the jump. It's not for you. Uh, Jack Colback scored. And then poor Joe Hodge missed. And Wolves go out. Forest go through. In the other quarterfinal last night, we had a massive shock. Sekou Mara put Southampton one up on 23 minutes. Good cross by Lianco. Great finish by Mara. And then Musa Gineppo, five minutes later, picks the ball up just inside his own, just inside City's half, drives forward, and from fully 30 yards, takes a speculative shot, which looks silly until you realise that Stefan Ortega is standing about 10 yards off his line, loops over him, and in 2-0 to Southampton, and that's how it stayed. Now, City lined up with Ortega in goal, Canseo and Gomez as the fullbacks, Kyle Walker and Laporte as the centre-backs. So three of their first-choice defenders, but two of them being played out of position. Cole Palmer, Calvin Phillips and Ilkay Gundogan in midfield. So, you know, one first-choice player there. And then Phil Foden, Julian Alvarez and the empty shirt that is Jack Grealish in attack. Grealish was hauled off on 60 after yet another nothing performance, yet another stinker. I poured some diesel into the old agenda machine and fired that baby up last night. He is a nothing player. For a club like that, a nothing player. He is this generation's Matt Letizia. Less talented, less productive, but the same type of player. Needs everything built around him, needs everyone else to do his running, Needs everything to function through him. And the type of club that would best suit him is the type of club whose fans, 14, 15 years after he retires, reminisce about the season they finished 11th and got to the quarterfinal of the FA Cup. Had their cup run. That's the type of club he belongs at. That's the level of player he is. And it must be tough for City fans who continually have to sit there and try and justify this, the dross that he serves up on a game-by-game basis. All because Pep Guardiola's ego demanded that they pay £100 million to sign him. Now, Grealish has now made 60 appearances for Manchester City. He has seven goals and seven assists in that time. He has only played 37 league games. He has four goals in those. He just, he doesn't fit in how City play at all. When City were great, they had real pace on the wings. Sterling on one side, Sané on the other. And They had an ability to stretch teams 
in a manner in which teams couldn't be stretched. Teams couldn't bend the way City forced them to bend. And they would break and City would absolutely tear them apart. Grealish goes against everything that that City team was about. And makes this current City team considerably worse. Now, I did see a City fan after the game suggest that what City needed was major investment. Well, you know, you spent £100 on Jack Grealish. You gave him a long-term contract, a six-year deal on about 300 grand a week. That's 15 million a year. That's a 90 million pound contract. That's a 190 million pounds plus agent fees, plus signing bonus. That's an over 200 million pound investment. In Jack Grealish. Then you sign Erling Haaland. You pay 60 million to the club. You pay 20 million to his dad, 30 million to the agent, 20 million to him. 400 grand a week is 20 million a year in base pay. Another 450 grand a week in bonuses. You're talking about, you know, over 40 million a year in salary on a five year deal. That's 200 million plus the cost of actually getting him in the door. You're talking another 130 million. That's a 330 million pound investment to earning Haaland. Now, Haaland is scoring for fun, but he has made the team worse. There's no doubt about it. He is not his fault. Not his fault at all. This is not a Cristiano uh, situation where he's making the team worse because of his ego or his arrogance. He's made the team worse because Pep has tried to alter the team to fit him rather than try and coach him to fit the team. Now, that might just be. A short-term thing in, in time maybe that changes but for now there can be no doubt City are worse City's issue isn't a lack of investment City's issue is allowing Pep Guardiola the freedom to do what he wants when Barcelona gave him the freedom to do what he wanted in the transfer market he was an unmitigated disaster he signed Zlatan who flopped he signed Krasinski or whatever the guy's name was the big centre-back from Ukraine who flopped, and Barca very quickly took the power back off Pep and said, there'll be no more of that for you because it's very clear that while you may be a genius coach, you are an appalling director of football, so we just won't be allowing you to do that anymore. Summer of 2009, I believe it was. It was. Ibrahimovic, 46 million, and Samuel Eto'o. Now, bear in mind, he just scored the winning goal in the Champions League final. He was 28 years of age, in his prime, easily a £40 million player. So 86 million back then for Zlatan. Didn't work. Signed Maxwell from Inter. Awful. Uh, Kerrison. Young player Pep had fallen in love with. He was a disaster at Barcelona. He played... 
he played zero games for Barcelona. Zero games. He had one, two, three, four, five loan spells, which took up the five years of his contract. Uh, he is now retired and has been for a couple of years, having done really well with Curitiba, 33 goals in 63 games, and done very well in a very brief spell with Palmieri's five goals in seven games, uh, which was actually, no, to be fair, it's even more impressive. He scored five and seven in the league. Overall, he scored 24 and 36. Um, at Curitiba, he'd scored 41 in 58 and 21 and 48 as a young player. While on loan from Barcelona, he went to Benfica, uh, zero goals in seven games in, a full se- in, in half a season. He scored two goals in 12 games for Fiorentina in half a season. He had a full season loan at Santos. He did okay. He did okay. I think he scored 10 goals in 31 games. Went to Cruzeiro. Scores one goal in eight games. Goes on loan to Curitiba. One goal in 11. Then leaves Barca on a free. Goes back to Curitiba. At this point, he's only 26. Uh, scores 5 and 25. 0 and 2 the next year. He drops down a division to Londrina. 7 in 31. And then doesn't score another goal for the rest of his career, which lasts another two seasons. Um, disaster. A disastrous move by Pep. Um, Sharinsky is the centre-back. Twenty-five million pounds, or twenty-five million euro, they spend to bring him in from Shakhtar Donetsk. He looks at at Shakhtar. To be to be fair, he looked like he might be the next Nemanja Vidic. Uh, he spends one year at Barcelona, and they lose ten million on the deal as he goes back to Shakhtar. Yeah, I mean that's a disastrous summer, no matter what way you look at it, and having won. Everything the previous year, uh, they fall short in the Champions League. They do win the league again, so you know, credit where it's due. But he was the, the gavel was taken away and he no longer had his say. The same things needs to happen at City. The same thing needs to happen at City. He is not good enough at identifying talent to be given that type of that type of power. I mean, the Grealish deal is just, it's horrific. You've got four more years of this. And I, I remember last season, in attempting to justify how blatantly obvious it was that he wasn't a good fit, City fans kept telling everybody, oh, in year two, that's when all Pep signings really adapt to the system. Well, we're halfway through year two, and he's even worse this season than he was last season. So, I don't know how it ends because nobody can afford to buy him. Nobody's giving them big money. You might get half what you paid because when you paid a hundred million, he was worth probably at very most half. He was a forty to fifty million pound player, maximum. 
and you paid a hundred million for him. And no one else is going to give him three hundred grand a week unless unless Arsenal did something really stupid, which I don't see happening. Or Newcastle decided to do something stupid, which again I don't see happening. It's it's just it's going in the direction of being one of the worst transfers in the history of English football. Now he's fortunate and they're fortunate that the Lukaku deal was also a disaster that same summer. And the Sancho deal was also a disaster that same summer. But it doesn't excuse this. City lose without a, without a shot on target, by the way. The only save that Basunu had to make was one that dribbled off the leg of his own defender and he fell on top of. That's the only save he had to make. The semi-final draws were made last night and said Hampton will take on Newcastle. Saints will have the first leg at home. And then Nottingham Forest will take on Manchester United and Forest will have the first leg at home. Unsurprising that they've kept Newcastle and United apart. That's the final that they want with City gone out. United get a big boost in that Dean Henderson won't be allowed to play in those games because he is owned by Manchester United. Now, the Football League, their rules are different to the Premier League. The Premier League and for the FA Cup, you're just not allowed to play against your parent club. In the Championship League 1 and League 2, you are allowed to play against your parent club if your parent club give permission. I don't know what the exact rule is for the FA Cup, whether you're just not allowed or whether the parent club have to give permission. And if they do, you can play. But either way, United are not going to give permission. Uh, So Dean Henderson will not play. It might be worth Nottingham Forest seeing if they can find a different goalkeeper because Wayne Hennessy unlikely to get the job done. I don't want to write anybody off. I wrote Southampton off foolishly yesterday and they made City look quite poor. But um, I think United versus Newcastle is the likely final. I think Newcastle would run them off the pitch, but United look really dangerous on counterattacks in Ollie Ball 2.0. So you'd probably favour United, even though I think Newcastle are a better team right now. Moment of appreciation for Southampton, though. There's some just some outrageously good young players in that team. Outrageously good young players. And I've said before, I don't think going down would be the worst thing for them. I think there's 10 players at Saints who could potentially be part of a really good Southampton team moving forward. Basunu, Livermento, Bellacoccia, Salisu, Larius. There's your defence. Lavia and Diallo. There's your double pivot in midfield. Alcaraz is your ten. Alcaraz is your ten. Idozi and Mara as your wide players. You find a number nine. That's a seriously good team. In in time. I don't know if they've got the right manager, but that's real talent. And there's no real reason 
that you'd have to sell any of them unless some of them have relegation release clauses. You can sell Ward Prowse, you can sell Walker Peters, you can sell the Che Adams or whoever to make up the financial shortfall of being in the championship, not the Premier League. Keep all the rest. Build them for a year as a team. Battle harden them through the championship and come up a much better team in much better form, much better confidence, with a real identity and with proper experience of putting in the hard yards. So, you know, Saints fans, even if you go down, it's not the worst thing in the world. We have one Premier League game tonight, and that game is Fulham, currently 7th in the league, versus Chelsea, uh, currently 10th in the league. Graham Potter is coming out fighting, saying two months ago I was seen as a good coach. Well, two months ago you were losing consistently with Chelsea. Four months ago, you were seen as a good coach until you made a bad decision. You're still a good coach. You just have questionable judgment. But it is good to see him fighting his corner. You would hope that that fan base will get behind him. But I wouldn't bet on it. It's quite an entitled collection. I mean, Thomas Tuchel won them a Champions League and there were a number of them that were happy to see him go. So I wouldn't bet on the fan base standing behind him. A defeat tonight would would be really bad for him. They've won, is it one Premier League game in seven? One Premier League win in eight. They've won one Premier League game since the middle of October. And it's not like it was an impressive win. They beat Bournemouth. Everybody beats Bournemouth. Drew with Brentford. Drew with United at home. Got walloped by Brighton. Lost to Arsenal. Lost to Newcastle. Lost to City. Drew with Forest. Beat Brent, beat Bournemouth. Everybody beats Bournemouth. I mean, they haven't really had an impressive win this season. They beat Everton, bottom three. They beat Leicester, have spent significant time in the bottom three, were bottom three at the time. They beat West Ham, bottom four. They beat Crystal Palace in very, very fortunate circumstances where Silva should have been sent off after like six minutes and then Gallagher scores that late screamer. They beat Wolves, bottom three. Aston Villa is their best win of the season. And they weren't very good. That was Steven Gerrard led Aston Villa. I think they were bottom five at the time. Bournemouth are going to be a bottom three team. Their two best wins are Leicester at home, a game in which they were very lucky, and Aston Villa away. Again, a game in which they were very lucky. Villa were the better team on the day. And they've not been good in the league at all. It hasn't matter, mattered whether it was Thomas Tuchel or it was Graham Potter. They've just been dreadful. 
in the league. Six defeats already. Tenth in the league. Chelsea Football Club. Tenth in the Premier League. After 17 games. They lose tonight. That will open up a gap between them and Fulham. Not a big gap, but a gap nonetheless. Six points. Now, Chelsea would still have a game in hand. But they'd be six points behind Fulham. They're already the third team in West London in the Premier League. Fulham are ahead of them. Brentford are ahead of them. That's that's just not acceptable at all. Now, you would back them to finish above both of those teams. <clears throat> you would back them to finish above Brighton. But I don't know if I'd back them to finish above anybody else. Maybe Liverpool, if Liverpool continue to be dreadful, um, they could do us a favour and knock us out of the Europa Conference League. And they could take that spot. But all things considered, this season is a disaster for Chelsea. They've only scored 20 goals. They've only scored 20 goals. Think of the money they've spent on attackers over the last few years. We'll take a break. When we come back, I think we've got one or two questions and we have a little bit of a history lesson for some people. I'll see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, uh, we have two questions. One from Fact 1977. How telling are FA FA Cup matches between Premier League sides where both sides start their best or almost best 11? I don't really think they're all that telling until you get to the late stages. Because... It's all, it's not just about the players on the pitch, it's about the mindset. It's about whether or not the manager has sent them out with the same type of intensity, desire, will to win as they would in a league game. So sometimes clubs don't take the FA Cup all that seriously, but they will play a full-strength 11 for fitness reasons or for rhythm because there might be a gap of a week either side between Premier League games and you don't want to give players a two-week break during the season because they could lose form. So I don't think they're all that telling, to be honest. Uh, Davy Bassinger, if you could pick the next manager for US soccer, who would it be? Um. If I could hand-pick them, I'd probably pick Pep. Because I think he could instill a way of playing right the way down through the pyramid, through the age groups. I think he has a very clear idea in on what it takes to develop 
young players. <laughs> Roberto Mar Roberto Martinez, after he gets done butchering Portugal's great generation of talent, then he'll head off to America, just as those really talented players they've got now are heading for their prime years. We'll send them Bobby M and he'll make sure they win absolutely nothing. Um, Pep would be the one because Pep brings that La Masia mindset. And for me, what America kind of needs is a more centralized system of developing youth players for the purpose of the national team. Now, that could involve building super academies across the land. Maybe you build seven or eight of them, one in L.A., one in New York, because you've got those massive populations and those two cities will produce enough talent to warrant their own academies. And then you can put them in, you know, different geographical regions. So you put one in the Pacific Northwest, that can take in Washington State, Oregon, Northern California, you know, San Francisco, the Bay Area, and say Idaho, Montana, whatever talent you're going to get there. You would put one in Texas, huge state, huge population, decent history of producing talent. That would also incorporate New Mexico, Arizona. I would suggest you put one maybe in Kansas that could take in Tennessee, Kansas, Missouri, Mississippi, Arkansas, Oklahoma. Maybe put another in, say, Utah. Could take in Colorado, Utah, the Dakotas, Nebraska. Again, you build them to various size depending on what you believe the talent pool to be. You put one in what Americans call the Midwest, but is actually east of the middle of the country. You're very strange people. Um, and I, I really think you need to look at a map. It's not the Midwest. It is, it, it's still the east. It's just not the east coast. Um, and that would take in, you know, Minnesota, Michigan, Indiana, Wisconsin. You put one in New England to take in all of New England. You put one maybe in D.C., and that can take in Virginia, West Virginia, maybe the Carolinas as well. Or maybe you put it in Virginia, and that's easier. And then you put one in maybe North Florida, and it takes in Georgia, Alabama, maybe New Orleans, or that, or that could be the one for Kansas could take in New Orleans and Florida as a state as well. Maybe Florida needs its own one, and you put another one in Alabama or something that takes in Georgia and and I know I'm missing states here. I'm I'm doing this off the top of my head, so bear with me. 
Um, but yeah, that's what I would suggest doing. Put super academies across the country and, and filter all the best young players into those academies. It's also a good way because you can get players when they reach the age of 18, they become, say, eligible for the MLS draft. So you could be drafting players for the MLS out of those academies. They would obviously play games against each other consistently through the age groups. They could play games against other teams in their regions. And the very best of the best get filtered into one centralized national academy. And I do mean centralized. I don't mean put it on a coast. I do mean centralized. Put it bang in the middle of the country. And that is where your main national academy, where where the best players from each academy come together, maybe once a month for a week's training under Pep. And he works with them there. Similar to, and, and you could make it that that's where they, you know, you could do it like um, Lillishaw used to be. Or I can't think of the name. Is it Clairefontaine? Is that the one in France? Where the very best players go for a year to live, to learn, to do their schooling, whatever. You obviously would need to incorporate schools into these academies. I would have them as almost boarding school type situation where all their educational needs are met. They live in, they get proper nutrition and you're building footballers from the age of, let's say, 14. Let's say they do four years in these academies as if they're a high school. Freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, senior year. And then at the end of their senior year, they either get drafted by the MLS, they can be purchased by a European club for whatever you set uh, figures, or they head on to colleges and continue their careers there. But I think someone like Guardiola, I think that's the type of setup that would would interest him. Now, he's been fairly clear, clear about the fact he does want to manage at international level, but it, all the talk has been he'd like to manage either Spain or Brazil. So he might not go for the US, but he does he does have a home in the US. He spends much of his off time there. I believe his his family still live in the US. Um, he goes to see them. They come to see him. Since he took that year off after Barcelona, I believe his family have spent most of their time in the US. He spent that year, you know, sipping coffee and listening to jazz in New York. Um, which is just a very pep thing to do in his, in his roll neck. Pep would be perfect. If you can't get pep, Go for Wenger. I know he's a little bit older. But Wenger is a sage. And what Wenger can also do is, outside of those academies for players, 
there should be academies for coaches where young coaches can go and learn. Because one of the things you need when you are developing more players is you need more coaches. And you can never have too many good coaches. And rather than importing them, you grow your own. But you have someone like Wenger who sets the curriculum to develop coaches. Pep, again, would be ideal for this. But if you can't get Pep, I think Wenger. I know he's older. Are saying, and look, maybe Wenger doesn't want to coach this, doesn't want to coach the national team. Maybe you just put him in charge of a project like this. He is 73. Whether or not he'd be willing to move to America, I don't know. I don't know. But if you could get him to go and do that for three or four years, the problem is it would take multiple years to build those academies and get everything up and running, especially the way um, building costs are in the US, where you know a $10 million project $10 million project becomes a $80 million project just overnight because, oh, building materials change cost even though you've already bought them in advance. Um, outside of those two, it needs to be somebody that has a very clear philosophy on on building a football club. And those are the two that really come to mind. Ferguson's, I don't think Ferguson would have that kind of interest. He wouldn't, I don't think he'd even consider moving to America. So that's why I haven't mentioned him. Klopp is too young to to go to the US as, well, Klopp and Pep are the same. Klopp's older than Pep. But Pep, I think, is just more about developing young players and coaches. I just think that's where his real passion lies, teaching. I think Pep is a teacher. Pep or Wenger. But yeah, I I think it needs... Because it just... The talent base is unbelievable. But so many of the best young talents get lost to other sports. And that's where I think you need to really focus on development from a young age. And that's where I think like these super academies could come in very, very handy. Now, a history lesson for some idiot I saw. I saw this video yesterday and it has annoyed me since. They were discussing Olivier Giroud. And the question was asked, is he a top 20 striker of all time? And it was three or four embryos. And one of them said, oh yeah, he definitely is. And mind-blowing. And then they started naming players. And this person... I'm trying really hard here. This person suggested that Olivier Giroud was a better player, a better striker than Raul and than Ruud van Nistelrooy. So Ruud van Nistelrooy 
is one of the greatest goal scorers I've ever seen. Forty-one in forty-six for PSV in ninety-eight, ninety-nine. Thirty-two and thirty-two the following year. Then he tears his ACL. Then he joins United. Thirty-six and forty-nine. Forty-four and fifty-two. Thirty and forty-four. At down season at sixteen and twenty-seven because he had a couple of injuries. Twenty-four and forty-seven. Joins Real Madrid. Forty. Uh, sorry, thirty-three and forty-seven. 20 in 33, 10 in 12, injury prone that year. Um, leaves to go to Hamburg, 7 and 18, 10 in 26. So the 09-10 season, he scores eight goals in 22 games. And that is the first season, other than the year in which he tore his ACL, 0102, that he failed to hit double figures since 95-96. In 95-96, Ruud van Nistelrooy was a centre midfield player. He became a striker the following year with Den Bosch, got 10 in 31. And I skipped the year at Heronveen where he scored 16 and 40. But he was double figures every single season from 96-97 all the way through to 08-09. And then he bounced back after one season, had another season with double figures. Olivier Giroud can't even come close to speaking to that level of goal-scoring brilliance. Like, he just can't. There's no way you can look at Ruud van Nistelrooy and Olivier Giroud. Compare their Premier League tenures. Van Nistelrooy was at Arsenal and Chelsea for a combined decade. He scored 144 goals in that decade, in all competitions, in 372 games, right? 372 games, 144 goals. Ruud van Nistelrooy was at Manchester United for five years, played 219 games, 150 goals. He scored more goals in 140-odd less games. For the careers at club level, Giroud, 258 in 643. Van Nistelrooy, 349 in 592. So you're talking about 90, 91 more goals? 91 more goals in 50 less games. Olivier Giroud is not on the same level at all as Ruud van Nistelrooy. Then there's Raoul. And the levels change even more here because Raoul is one of the greatest players I've ever seen. Makes his Real Madrid first-team debut in 94-95. 10 and 30. From there, 26 and 52, 22 and 47, 13 and 49, playing as a 10. 
29 and 49, 29 and 57, 32 and 50, 29 and 55, 25 and 47, 20 and 53. Starts to decline around here. 13 and 43. It's a good season for a lot of players. Uh, Denny misses double figures for the first time. So after one, two, three, four, five, after 11 straight years of double figures, he finally misses it with seven and 32. Bounces back, 12 and 43. And then rediscovers his best form. 23 and 48, 24 and 47. Then in his final year at Real, he's more of a squad player, seven and 39. Goes to Schalke, 19 and 51, 21 and 47. Moves to Qatar, 12 and 34. And then 4-27 and 27 in his last season there. Goes to New York Cosmos and scores 9 in 32. Uh, 20 years after his debut. At this point, he is 38 years of age. Um, for the career, 404 goals, 942 games. Significantly better goals per game record than Giroud. Uh, at international level, obviously, Giroud has had a very good return with 53 goals in 120 games. Van Nistelrooy, 35 and 70, so a better goals per game record. And Raul, uh, 44 in 102, which is, I would suggest, a similar goals per game ratio, but I could be wrong on that. Either way, there is absolutely no world in which Olivier Giroud speaks to Raul. They don't even, they didn't even play the same sport. Raul was levels and levels above. So, top 20. Is he a top 20 striker? I found this. This is written by uh, Sam Tai. Sam makes the Ranks FC podcast. He wrote this eight years ago on Bleacher Report. Uh, the top 60 strikers of all time. Quick note. No Cruyff, no Maradona, no Messi, no Cabellas, no Totti, no Best, no Sindelar, no Rivaldo. They were forwards, not strikers. Um, so we'll go through these 60 and we'll see who's better than Giroud. Uh, Inzaghi, yes. Filippo Inzaghi, absolutely. Dennis Law, yes. Marcelo Salas, yes. John Charles, yes. Alan Shearer, absolutely. Why is he this low, though, Sam? That's questionable. Uh, Georgi Aspurahov, not a player I'm familiar with, played in Bulgaria for his entire career. And died in 1971. Ivan Zamorano, yes. Davor Sucre, yes. Patrick Clivert, yeah, much better player than, than Giroud. Uh, Hernan Crespo, absolutely. Henrik Larsson, absolutely. Mario Kempis, yes. David Villa, yes. Oleg Bolligan, uh, yes, without question. Telmo Sara, yes. Samuel Eto, yes. Wayne Rooney, yes. Del Piero, yes. Rudy Vuller, yes. Gary Lineker, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Yus Fontaine, Didier Drogba, Miroslav Klose, Ian Rush, Ruud van Nistelrooy, Kenny Dalglish, Raul Gonzalez, far too low. Jimmy Greaves, Silvio Pioli. All of these are yes, 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 yes. Jurgen Klinsmann, absolutely. Gebeto, yeah. Yeah, he was. He was part of that El Gran Torino team that perished in a, in a plane crash. Andrei Shevchenko, yes. Thierry Henry, Roberto Baggio, Christo Stoichkov, Jose Aguas, 
Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, Jean-Pierre Papin, Hugo Sanchez, all of these are yes. Leonidas Da Silva, Uwe Seeler, Gabriel Batistuta, George Weah, Giuseppe Miazza, Emilio Butragenio, Gunnar Nordal, Paolo Rossi, Josef Bikan, Fernando Perotillo is not a player I'm all that familiar with. <coughs> uh, played for Sporting, not a player I'm familiar with. Arthur Freundrig Reich, absolutely. Marco van Basten, Romario, Sander Coxix, Alfredo De Stefano, Gerd Muller, Ferenc Puskas, Eusebio, Ornine, and Pele. All of these. All of these. And th- did he miss? Or did I miss Marco van Basten's name? Off this list. I think he missed Marco van Basten off this list. All 58 of the players I'm familiar with are better. And that list does not include Luis Suarez, Gonzalo Higuain, Edinson Cavani, Karim Benzema, Robert Lewandowski. Oh, there's Marco Mimazza. Ninth, far too low. That list does not include the greats of the modern era. Doesn't include any of them. Doesn't include Harry Kane. Significantly better player. So, not only is Olivier Giroud, as much as I like him, he's not a top 60, not a top 20 striker. I would say he's not a top 70 striker. I'm sure if I sat down for long enough and and thought about it properly, I'm sure he's not a top 70 striker of all time. Maybe not top 75. A good player, but never a great player. Really good for the national team. And a very good player at making great players a little bit greater, but certainly not. And the disrespect of Raul and Ruud van Nistelrooy, absolutely shocking. Absolutely shocking. Uh, we'll move on to transfer news. Manchester United are about to sign Wout Weghorst. Last January, he signed for Burnley. This January, he signs for Manchester United. United are going to play, pay Besiktas $3 million to break their loan. I like Veghorst. I think it's a strange move. It's a move of a club with no money to spend. Uh, looks like Leeds are going to seal a deal that will shatter their club transfer record for Jorginho Ruter and that he is very very talented and I'm excited to see how he does in the Premier League so looking forward to getting him into the league and seeing what he can offer uh Ross Barkley scored twice as Nice beat Montpellier congrats to him um pick your combined Manchester United Manchester City 11 fair enough goalkeeper None of them are all that great, but we'll go Ederson over De Gea because I just don't like goalkeepers that are glued to their six-yard box. Right back. 
I mean, it's 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 Kyle Walker. It, it just is Kyle Walker. And it's not because he's particularly good. It's because the others are particularly bad. Uh, left back is Canseo. And again, it's not because he's great. Centre-backs, Laporte is the easiest pick here. The other one is Diaz. It, it just is. Midfield. Um, I mean, the first player picked has got to be Kevin De Bruyne. The second player picked has got to be Rodri. And the third player picked Bernardo Silva. In attack, it's Foden. It's Haaland. And it is the lone Manchester United inclusion. It's Marcus Rashford. Now, I will accept an argument for De Gea. In fact, you know what? I'm just going to change it because I don't like Ederson. He's too error prone for me. I would say it is nine to two in favor of United. And I don't think it's all that close. Maybe you can argue Varane over Diaz. Varane to me is a bit soft. There's no argument at fullback. There's no argument with Laporte over the uh, the gnome. Midfield picks itself. Foden, Haaland and Rashford picks itself. Uh, Arsenal. Spurs combined 11. This is a bit better. Don't like either of the goalkeepers, but I will go Ramsdale. Uh, at right back, Tommy Asu is the best right back between the two clubs. And in terms of a left back, for me, there's absolutely no doubt that Kieran Tierney is the best left back. Centre backs, the best of them is Christian Romero. Second best of them. It's between Gabriel and Saliba. I don't love either of them. I'll go Gabriel because he's left sided. Uh, in midfield, oh, we need to change the formation. How do I do that? Let's change the formation and get this into more of a four-four-two type of jobby. I'm only picking because the two wingers have got to be, I think, Saka and Kulusevski. I think Kane and Son have got to be the. Front two. Um, in midfield, Odegaard. It's Thomas Partey. It sickens me to pick him. But yeah, it's seven to four in favour of Arsenal for me. So there's that. Lovely. Now, I'll go and vomit in a second. Um, gossip and we'll be done Manchester United and Chelsea are considering a move for Kyle Walker-Peters he starts for United he doesn't start for Chelsea because James is there he'd be very expensive as a backup I don't know that he'd want to be a backup at 25 can play both fullback spots he'd be a better move for United than for Chelsea West Ham have spoken to Amiens of France about a move for 22-year-old Senegal defender Fermos Mendy. Um, do, do they need another centre-back? It's a big step up from the French second division to the Premier League. I suppose if Dawson's leaving, 
They've got the young Brazilian in, Luzao. I suppose so. I suppose if if Ogbonna is going going to leave at the end of this season, then it probably does make sense. So you go Zuma and Agard. You've got Carrere who can play central. And then you've got Luzao and Mendy as your youth future kind of pairing. Um, Yeah, I suppose it does make sense. It does make sense. Now, you'd have to bring him along slowly because, like I say, it's a big jump from the French second division into the Premier League. But uh, I trust the scouting because I think they've done a fairly good job in recent years. Uh, Leeds are making progress for Jorginho Ruta. That's fine. Tottenham have decided not to trigger an option in the contract of uh, Lucas Moura to extend his stay beyond the season. I think that's been done out of decency towards the player. I think he asked him not to. He wants to go back to Brazil, so it makes sense. Uh, Aston Villa have had a bid rejected for Marseille's 23-year-old France midfielder, Matteo Guendouzi, who played under Unai Emery at Arsenal. Played well under Unai Emery at Arsenal. A very talented midfielder. The question is about his maturity. That's the reason he's not at Arsenal anymore, is his maturity. Now, he has a very good and very strong existing partnership and relationship with Boubacar Camara, who he spent a season with there at Marseille, and they were really, really strong together. So if he has matured a little bit, I would say go and do that deal. I think he's a quality player. Uh, Wolves are stepping up talks over a £10 million move for Mario Lamina. That one looks like it will get done. Wolves want to sign Felipe from Atletico Madrid. Trust me, Wolves, you don't. Atletico could move for Cagliari Sionchu as Felipe's replacement. It looks like Sionchu's done a deal to go there in the summer anyway, so it makes sense. Um, West Ham will block any move for Mikhail Antonio, who is of interest to Wolves. Yeah, they need to keep him until summer anyway, uh, just for depth. Um, Watford want to sign for Kondo Palestri from Manchester United. Finally made his debut the other night. Uh, only took two and a half years. Talented player. Fulham are planning to offer Marco Silva a new contract following their impressive Premier League return. Makes all the sense. Chelsea's former former Gabon striker Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang wants to return to Barcelona. So Aubameyang can only go back to Barca if he leaves Chelsea in this window. He can't go anywhere else because he's already played for two clubs this year. Um, He can't go anywhere else. Now, Barca, I would assume, would take him back on a free with, you know, Chelsea paying most of his wages or something like that. But yeah, there's no other way that that ends. Aston Villa are willing to listen to offers for Luca Dina only a year after his move from Everton. Um, well, Ben Doak retired him there a few weeks ago, so, you know, stole his lunch money, snatched his soul, all while sending him for a newspaper. Uh, Chelsea's 31-year-old Italian midfielder, Jorginho, is set to leave in a free transfer this summer. They, that's what they should do. They should let him leave. 
Um, Joe Felix is likely to return to Atletico Madrid after his loan spell, which could suggest the departure of Diego Simeone. It does look like Simeone will leave. And it's it's time for Simeone to leave. And there's no bigger fan than me, but it is time for him to leave. Take a year off, go and get your batteries recharged, and then you know, fire away again. Uh Chelsea will continue negotiations with Borussia Munch and Gladback for Marcus Turum. That's from the spoofer with the catchphrase. So could be true, could be nonsense. Who knows? There we go. That's me for today. I will see you tomorrow. Thank you as always for listening. Thank you to Guy Drinkle. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.